grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Welcome to a sermon podcast from Salem Lutheran Church. For more information, please stay tuned at the end of the sermon. non-festival half of the church year where the emphasis is on Christian living and Christian living always in Christ Jesus and we certainly give him all the praise and glory the very Lord who is the Lord of life our first lesson for this third Sunday after Pentecost is found recorded in the book of Kings chapter 17 beginning at the 17th verse After these events, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. This is the woman in Zarephath. The illness became worse until he stopped breathing. Then she said to Elijah, What is the issue between us, man of God? Have you come to remind me of my sins and to kill my son? He said to her, Bring your son to me. Then he took him and carried him to the upstairs room where he was living and he laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you sent tragedy on this woman with whom I am staying by killing her son? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times, and he cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this boy's soul return to his body. The Lord listened to Elijah's voice, and the boy's soul returned to his body, and he came to life. Then Elijah took the boy and brought him down to the house from his upstairs room and gave him to his mother. Elijah said, See, your son is alive. The woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. This is the word of the Lord. Our second lesson is found recorded in St. Paul's letter to the Galatians chapter 1 beginning at the 11th verse. But I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation from Jesus Christ. Certainly you have heard of my former way of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God to an extraordinary degree and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my own people because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. However, God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I would preach him among the Gentiles. At that time, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, and I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. Instead, I went away into Arabia, and then I returned again to Damascus. Next, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to meet Cephas and stay with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, about the things I am writing to you, look, I assure you in the presence of God that I am not lying. Then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. 
I was still personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They heard only the one who was once persecuting us is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. And they were praising God for what happened to me. This is the word of the Lord. We read from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, beginning at verse 11. Soon afterward, Jesus went on his way to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a large crowd were traveling with him. As he was approaching the town gate, there was a dead man being carried out, the only son of his mother. She was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not cry. He went up to the open coffin and touched it, and the pallbearer stopped. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear gripped all of them, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. This was reported about him in all of Judea and in all the surrounding countryside. This is the gospel. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for consideration is found recorded. It is in the Gospel, Luke chapter 7, beginning at verse 11. I'd like to share with you these words once again. Soon afterward, Jesus went on his way to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd were traveling with him. As he was approaching the town gate, there was a dead man being carried out, the only son of his mother. She was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not cry. He went up to the open coffin, touched it, and the pallbearer stopped. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear gripped all of them, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. This was reported about him in all of Judea and in all the surrounding countryside. This is the word of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ and heirs of everlasting life, it was 32 years ago when I first became a pastor and I was called to the small town in Wabino, Wisconsin, Trinity Lutheran Church. And the first Bible study I ever wrote was actually not for the church. It was actually for the county. Because every time a new minister came into town, the county would call you up and ask if you would be a presenter at one of their groups that they were sponsoring. And the group was the grief group or the grieving group. And so that then led to two questions in my mind. First of all, what is a grief group? What do you do at a grief group? Well, they informed me that the grief group was people were getting together. They've been doing this the last 10, 15 years or so. And they would get together and have a speaker and, and then support each other during this time of grieving. But usually the meeting ends with people crying. Okay. And then the other thing is, 
what are you asking me to really do? Well, they said, well, some ministers and some speakers, they come and they play guitar, some sing songs, some will read a cute little story, some read beautiful poems, and, and, and so we're asking you to come and do something like that. Well, I just came from the seminary, and I was taught that when it came to funerals and when it came to preaching, that the purpose of a funeral sermon is actually to dry tears up. So hearing that they were crying all the time, I thought to myself, I'll put together a Bible study. And I used this, this text as the basis of my Bible study. And can you imagine what the theme was? The same theme as for this sermon. Don't cry. So I conducted the Bible study, and I always wondered how they felt about it, because they were very quiet after I gave the Bible study. And I always wondered, if I could have gone back, I would have loved to ask them, you know, how did you feel about presenting, having me present God's word to you? And why I ask that question is, I never got invited back. <laughs> I probably should have played guitar, which I can't do. I probably should have read a cute little poem, or at the very least, maybe sing a hymn. I'm not sure if the Bible class was well received. I pray it was. And I don't say this because I'm being sassy when it comes to people crying. Crying is an emotion that we have that God has blessed us with. But the Bible does say not to grieve like those who have no hope. But in the light of crying, we do, in our tears, always have hope. And that hope is found in Jesus. And here, in this beautiful, true story, Jesus reveals to a widow and to really all of us why when it comes to sorrow, especially even the loss of a loved one, it's not a loss. We live with hope. Jesus just got done actually healing a servant of a centurion. This man, Jesus was very awed by. This is a man who had a hundred soldiers under his command, so we'd be considered rather powerful. And he would have been an expert soldier. He requested that Jesus come to heal his servant, but he also went on to say that he didn't want Jesus to come under his roof. He, he made it clear, just say the word and I know my servant will be healed. Jesus replied to the centurion that he had not seen such great faith in all of Israel. There was only two times that Jesus ever said those words. And this was the first time. And the two times he said those words, it was not to Jews, but to Gentiles. After he healed the servant, Jesus made his way to the small town of Nain. It was just a few miles southwest of Nazareth. When Jesus was going there, of course, he led the way. Behind him were his disciples, including the 12 apostles. But behind them was a large pro procession of crowd, a huge number of people. 
They were coming to the city, which, of course, in order to get into the city, you have to go through the gate. But meanwhile, as he's heading to the gate, inside the city, there's a procession. It was being led by a man, a young man, we're told, who had died. He was the only son of this, this mother, and we're told she was a widow. Even though there's a huge procession, and maybe they were quite popular people in the town, when it came to her immediate family, she was alone. And so you have the pallbearers carrying out in this open coffin. And don't think of the coffin as like a huge box. It was more like a stretcher. The mother was there, and she was crying. We would have expected that. This is the death of her son. And who knows how he died, we're not told. And the large procession that followed after must have been a great number of mourners. So just think, they, you got Jesus coming to the gate, you have them coming to the gate, and they're all beating at the gate. One wants to come in, the other one wants to go out. One is, has life and hope, the other one sadness and death. And they stop at the gate, and Jesus sees this son, and we're told that he had great compassion for the mother. Now, the word compassion here is, is one of those special words in the original language that I always try to look for. Because when I see this word, it tells me immediately that this is not the type of compassion where he simply sympathized, had pity on her, felt sorry that it happened, but oh well. Life goes on. Time will heal. She needs to tough it out. She'll be all right. No, this kind of compassion has within its word the word intestines. So when it speaks of Jesus having compassion, this is not the word of it was just heartfelt. This was deep down in the very bowels of his body and soul that he felt actually pain and compassion and love for this woman. And we certainly hear it in the words, do not cry. These are not words that you simply uh, just speak because you don't know what to speak and, and, and you just kind of give your condolences because the, the whole situation seems very awkward. When he said, do not cry, he meant it. And he also showed it. He goes up to the coffin and touches it, which stopped the pallbearers. And then Jesus said this, Young man, I say to you, get up. Notice he doesn't call on the name of the Lord. He doesn't say, Our Father who art in heaven. He doesn't say, Oh, oh God above, hear my plea as I pray for this precious person who has died and pray for the soul to return. He doesn't say any of that. Just simply, young man, I say to you, get up. He speaks as with complete authority because he is God, because he is the Son of God. 
The young man immediately uh, sits up and starts talking. There's no smoke and mirrors. There's no abracadabras. There was no other magical trick that was happening. This was a miracle. And the word miracle literally means a sign. Think of a miracle like a big billboard that is posted for all to see. And this billboard says, Jesus is your Savior. This billboard says, Jesus is God and has power over death itself. The billboard says, this is Jesus, the Lord of life. The people at the time, they saw him as a great prophet, and some commentators say that they just weren't getting it. They actually kind of downplay and, and kind of belittled the people for calling him a great prophet. See, if he's really the son of God, why would you call him a great prophet? That sounds rather demeaning. Others will say no. Calling him a great prophet was a huge compliment. Because the word prophet was one of the three offices that required anointing by oil. And when a person in the Old Testament was anointed by oil to serve as prophet, priest, or king, then that meant that that person was chosen by God, and therefore the Holy Spirit would give them the gifts necessary to carry out their work in the name of the Lord. So in other words, the word prophet and calling him a great prophet had a messianic tone to it. Because the word Messiah, the Old Testament word, the word Christ, the New Testament word, means anointed one. And Jesus is called the anointed one, not because it was a really great title to give him, because he came to carry out his work of prophet, priest, and king. Here, Luke calls him the Lord, which immediately takes me to, to the burning bush and where the Lord revealed himself as the great I Am. This is the Lord who rescued the people from, uh, from the land of slavery and brought them to the promised land of Canaan. This is the very Lord who we know gave his life for us and for the sins of the world, paid for them on the cross, and, and freed us from the slavery of sin and won for us the paradise of heaven. This is the Lord who paid for our sins in full and being God, he has the power over death. He gives life. In fact, they said here that God has visited his people. Now, did they see Jesus as God or, or, may, or rather the miracle was done in this in this human being, and they're giving God the credit. Well, we see the Lord Jesus as Emmanuel. Not only did God come to visit his people, he is God with us, God among us, fully God, fully man, in one person. And it was this very Lord who would say to his disciples that rings in our ears to this very day, Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. We take those words to heart, not as simply nice words to say because Jesus ascended into heaven and he needed to come up with something rather cute. No, we take these words to heart. 
Because these are the words coming from a Lord who cares, from a Lord who has compassion. Not just heartfelt compassion. Compassion that is deep down. His very soul. And also know he has the almighty power over death, which means when he says, I am with you always, he has the power to carry out that command. Don't you find it amazing that when it comes to the miracles of Jesus, that he didn't do them just to show off, light up the sky with fireworks, maybe move a few mountains around. No, he always used his divine power over and over again to help and serve. And we have a God when we pray to him, not just because we pray to him, but when we pray to him, we know that he hears and answers our prayers. And he has the power to do it. This is why we join Jesus in saying, not my will, but your will be done. Always trusting that God knows exactly what to do and when to do it and what is best for us. Well, he may not always answer our prayers the way we want, but it will always be in the best possible way, especially when it comes to life. Yes, Jesus raised this young man from the dead and brought back his soul. He sat up and he talked. Jesus went and gave this young man back to his mother. All those tears had to turn to complete joy. But if all we see is just Jesus raising him from the dead and giving him back to his mother, we also miss the bigger picture that this is the very Savior who gave us eternal life, one for us eternal life, whose beautiful invitation is that through faith in him, we have life eternal. Because he paid for our sins on the cross. And when he rose, that was the proof, not only that sins were paid for, but that heaven is our home. This is the Lord of life. This is the Lord we cannot live without. This is the Lord that we cling to and we give him thanks that he revealed his holy life and his, and his holy word to us in the Bible, the written word. We take that word to heart, rejoicing that it always centers in Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of life, and our Lord as well. Is there really a greater privilege in all the world but to know Jesus? And is there a greater privilege in all the world than to share his holy name, even with others? Some will say, I quit listening to the news because they're tired of hearing the news. If you've been following the news, we had a pretty exciting week last week. Oh, Supreme Court announcement concerning the Second Amendment? And now the overturning of Roe Ro versus Wade? In other words, that it's going to go down to the state levels? It is not my purpose to ever use this pulpit as a bully pulpit for politics. But I will say this, that in the light of what happens in this world, 
in the light of the fact that Satan is certainly working in people's hearts and, and loves to destroy souls by leading people away from Christ. I can't thank God enough for the privilege and honor to join all of you in sharing the very holy name of Christ that none of us can live without and to share it with every precious soul we meet. Not to get caught up in politics, but to proclaim the divine truth that Jesus, this Lord of life, is the Savior of the world. And if you're wondering what to say, well, you can certainly sum up that beautiful gospel message with these words. Do not cry. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to a sermon podcast from Salem Evangelical Lutheran Church. If you have any further questions or would like to learn more about Salem Lutheran and its ministry, please check out our website at www.salemevlutheran.org. Once again, that is www.salemev l-u-t-h-e-r-a-n dot o-r-g. May God bless you today and every day.